You are now tuned into the Antidote Podcast with DJ Graphmatic and Paulie Dance. Subscribe now and please consider leaving us a 5-star review. Take the Antidote. Nothing safe when your numbers change, keep it low and pay the fee. Niggas talking, but it's not too often that they live and what they speak. Good pussy kept me entertained. Money came, then it went away. Lord, see over everything. Am I my brother's keeper? You know everybody gotta eat, bro. If Jesus would have had a better lawyer, would he have to see the cross? I hope your niggas is true. I hope they don't do you like Judas. I pray to God. Pain wearing off. Sleeping while I talk. Laid in the arms. Woke up at the top. I want to live on the head, if not a cloud in the air. Right side of the chair. 9 a.m. L.A. time. My brother just turned down a half a million dollars for being one half of one of the greatest duos in hip-hop history. And my, my brother's keeper. I couldn't love him more. You know everybody gotta eat, bruh. Everybody eats, B. And my, my brother's keeper. King Push. Keeper, they still acting about the duo. Applaud is finding salvation, but I'm still rhyming about the you know. It's hard to leave your foundation. This spaceship took me to Pluto. Still an underground king, but the money's Jason Derulo. Sumo in the safe, Cujo on the grill, diamonds in the face, racing leather wheel. To all my other field niggas, you knowin' how I feel, niggas. Destroy and rebuild, niggas. That's the only way to build, nigga. Yeah. Definition of a real nigga. And the target ain't to kill, niggas. No. Am I my brother's keeper? I'm dialing in a bit deeper. Arms reach to the reaper. They say it's cheaper to keep a life to bitch.
Yo, what's poppin'? We at the end of 2019. We're back. Fuck. It feels good. It was a good year. It was a fast, it's kind of fast though, man. So yeah. we wanted to give you a lot of wrap-ups, man. This was a great decade, even though we just started. Man, we the decade was uh, really great for, for music and everything else. Like It, it, was, it was really good. I, I thought it started out very slow, then it picked up. So, yo. For sure. Uh, music was kind of in a weird place coming from the 2000s into the 2010s. Um, so we figured we'd flip the script and do something a little bit different instead of listing everything down. We'll do like our awards for the decade. Uh, DJ Craftmatic, he has his tuxedo on. <laughs> and we're about to start handing out the prestigious antidote golden tear gas can trophies yeah to the well, best we, of decade winners y'all heard it first this is this is like the first time we're doing it and we'll be big enough one day where we'll be really passing those shits out so. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah let's start with the song of the decade Ooh, song of the decade. This one was pretty tough, but after looking at kind of everything that came out this decade, I, I think it's pretty clear that you have to say the Desposito remix once Justin Bieber jumped on that shit was <laughs> yeah, the man. hottest song of the, maybe of your life. I don't care if you're 90 years old. This is the hottest song of your life. Bro. <laughs> the, that this had this was probably one of the bigger drops since like on some real shit. It was like it was like the 2010s version of Suavemente. Yeah. For sure. And it just really blew up. But, you know, fuck Desposito. Fuck Justin <laughs> We was really just trolling, yo. <laughs> <laughs> when in the fuck will we ever listen to that? I'll just, I'll just ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can recognize it for what it was, but it was some bullshit. <laughs> you, if you've listened to our show before, then you clearly know we were trolling you. We just wanted to start with a little bit of a comedy, you know, make it yeah. kind of light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what this is. We ain't here to tell you about no Justin Bieber or no bullshit like that. We're here to talk the truth. And the truth that is good, that good. Song of the Decade, tough, man. Uh, there's a lot of great, just a lot of great artists that you can look from and try to decide what you want to pick from. And I think when we originally were talking about this conversation, we had each named like 10 Kendrick songs from right. each other. Like, which, you know what I mean? Uh, like Pretty much. So it basically comes down to which Kendrick song. And I know Craftmatic, you got a Kendrick song. For me, I do got a, I got a, I got a song, man. I got a song that I think is the song of the decade as far as for meaning. It was right in the middle. And it was really hard, though, too, because um, this was this is my pick. And you'll hear what Polly picks. And you really can't argue it either. So um, before we go into yours, if I pick the Kendrick song for song of the decade, which I didn't, I went in a completely different direction. But if I picked one, it would be uh, Sing About Me, Dying of Thirst. Yeah, that's a great one. I think that's just like as a song, the story in it, the switch up. Um, it's just really amazing, especially, you know, coming from his major label debut at the time. Yeah. Coming out of nowhere. But I can't really argue with the one that, that you picked either. Yeah, so for me, I picked uh, I picked "All Right" from Kendrick. Um, Kendrick came to me, to me that was, and it was right at the beginning or in the height of where we started to see more videos of, uh, you know, blacks being killed 
um, from police brutality. Right. Um, and so that's, and that was right before I, cause I believe, uh, um, Brown, you know, Brown and Zimmerman, you know, that whole thing in Florida. Trayvon Martin. That, Trayvon, I'm sorry, Brown, keep thinking. That's terrible. Trayvon Martin was, uh, what, 2016? Trayvon, I think it was a little bit earlier than that. Might've been 2012. Oh yeah. Maybe it's been, man, has it really been that long? Fuck. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Trayvon, off the Martin, topic there. Trayvon Martin was shot February 26, 2012. Uh, I do believe to pimp a butterfly dropped in 2016, uh, actually 2015, it was 15, March yeah. 15th, 2015. So this is three years later. This is three that, years later. The atmosphere yep. in the country is kind of uh, brewing and bubbling over and, um, you know, at, at this point, Kendrick drops the album to pimp a butterfly. Right. We'll also tie in when we go over album of the decade, a little bit later on in the show, we'll talk more about this environment and, and how it bred up to some of our favorite albums of the decade. Right. But specifically the song that, that you picked is all right. Um, features Pharrell Williams on the hook. Yeah. I mean, all, all right is it's just one of those tracks, man. It, it's the vibe. Uh, it's a, it's a hype track, but I mean, just even the hook, you know, and everything. We gonna be all right. I mean, that's just a a great way to put it for like how African Americans kind of just look at it. Like we just gonna be all right. We gonna get through it. And that's the thing is like we talking about. Oh, we gonna be all right. Um, and you know, he even talks about in the track, you know. Uh, just all about the, the basically where we were in that at that point in the country in that time, and really going into the the elections and everything like that. That that was very very heavy. So yeah, that was my song of day. It really just had a great uh, impact when it comes to talking about black life and like like Polly said, we'll kind of get into the connections of these things mm-hmm. um, and how the, some of these albums came about because it was right around that same time. So yeah, and it, and it really became a. A battle cry the song did of the like Black Lives Matter and, and that whole movement, right? Yeah, and just and just for the empowerment of of the movement, and just, it just had a, a very uh, very like deep social impact, at least for the for rap, at least when I take a look at it, um, especially from a Kendrick you know standpoint, and a lot of people have. Uh, Kendrick has revered and definitely I think he <laughs> we, we got Kendrick in this decade and I'd have to say definitely he's introduced to one of the greatest MCs we'll ever see and of course this is early on in career I want to sound like no Kendrick Stan I am a Kendrick Stan so fuck you anyway <laughs> um, this is it but he really did what this is this is what I expected from it and that's the type of song that I got and I got really powerful music and meaning in a song that was also hype and you could I could play that as a DJ I could play that in the club though and I could do any of those kinds of things as well. So it gave me both. Like the beat goes hard and uh, the hook goes hard and it's hype, you know, even though they do say it in there and we hate Popo, you know, but <laughs> coming up in the hood, that's how it was. So it's not like he's talking about it out of context or anything. Um, yeah. And he and, it was pretty controversial too when he performed yeah. it. I don't know if it was at the Grammys where he's performing it on like a broken cop car. Um, yeah, that one in the uh, was, was he in the the chains? Was oh yeah, he was in the chains at the. He was Grammy. in the slave, like a, looking like a slave or like a yeah. imprisoned slave. Um, yeah, 
and that yo, that whole performance was lit. <laughs> that was like one of the best performances I've probably seen. Like as far as live on a TV or anything like that, that was one of the best performances I've seen in the high minute. Yeah, like since the Prince Super Bowl halftime show. But anyways, I'm off track. That's because <laughs> that's some real shit right there. We, that's a whole nother conversation. That's why we do these. Uh, yeah, and yeah. definitely was a standout track from the album we'll touch base on the album later on uh when we go over some of our favorite albums of the decade but definitely a standout track on that album and it featured pharrell right it's kind of hard to leave a pharrell song out of a discussion for song of the decade the dude had just hits all the up and down the 2010s right and the fact that you, you don't really notice Pharrell too much in it, it's more of him just kind of like on the hook. Like that's yeah. his, that's his voice. Like everything that's kind of getting played in the background is his voice. So that's really dope about it too. Cause it's like, it's not like he has him really sing, He doesn't have him singing on it. He no. doesn't have him doing anything like that. It's just any it's of the extra chanting. vocals. Yeah. The chants and stuff. That's, that's all he's into. He just adds to the, to the, to the chant of the song. And I didn't even know that until um, not that long ago. Of course, when I, I read it and I was just like, oh, now I'm hearing it because I really didn't hear it at first. And then I'm hearing his voice now. And it don't, it's like Kendrick really mimicked him really well. So you, you couldn't tell. Yeah. I honestly couldn't tell who. I thought it was just strictly Kendrick on the hook for the longest time. Like I had to really listen. Once I read that, I was like, how is this dude on here? Um, yeah. It's definitely that track. It just it gives you everything um, as far as for at least the twenty the twenty tens. Like to me, that summed it up right there. Awesome, awesome one. Um, so I'm I'm taking in a different direction, and my track of the decade is actually it's a house music track. We always talk that we love house music over here, and there was actually in terms of electronic music and the growth and it entering the mainstream, I think the 2010s was the decade where that shift actually happened. Uh, right. They were, they've been trying to make it happen for 20 years before that. It never really pushed into the mainstream, but it really did in the 2010s, uh, you know, to where I, I just think at the point where we're at now, like genres are really just blending in. Right. All, All of it's known as dance music, like dance mm -hmm. music in itself, like the 2010s was great for dance music. And then the birth, of course, of EDM, which is a different topic. But yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not, you know, <laughs> yeah, stay away from that. But my track yeah. is a house track. <laughs> it was one of the biggest dance music tracks. You know, originally I was thinking of like Daft Punk songs, things like that. But those kind of, you know, were more poppy than, than dance, but yeah, a little too much on the pop side for those. Of course, Daft Punk did return pretty good. It wasn't like it wasn't a bad album. So yeah. No, but Get Lucky <laughs> was one of the biggest hits. Oh yeah, decade. for sure. For sure. And I mean, you could even win pop though. Cause I, we had talked about it. Um, you know, tracks like Uptown Funk, you up, like mm -hmm. Uptown Funk and uh, pretty much anything Bruno put out in the 2010s could be up there, you know, Adele, um, but house house was where it's at. We're talking about like just great tracks. <laughs> right. And electronic music returning to its roots yeah. with house music being, you know, one of the original genres with techno. Um, but the track I chose is losing it by Fisher. It was one of the most massive dance hits of the decade. And this song just really blew up. Uh, you know, we were kind of into Fisher with his first couple of releases on dirty bird records and yep then losing it dropped and it kind of just took on a life of its own. Even uh, I was reading an article on billboard. They were recognizing it as one of the biggest dance hits of the decade. For sure. 
yeah, uh, we, we were kind of looking at that and he, uh, Fisher came out of nowhere with that one. So it wasn't that it was, he came out of nowhere. He was really building up to that level. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, cause of course the, the track you didn't and, um, you know, kidding. everything that, yeah, you're kidding was really, really big, man. That was a big hit the and year before crowd control, crowd control. Yeah. Before. Those, those were really big hits for, for that year though, like 2018 and 2017, he was definitely delivering with those tracks, but then he, he really took it to the next level of Ascension with, uh, with, uh, losing and losing. It was literally everywhere. You couldn't stop hearing it for that, that whole pretty much when I remember when we first heard it, cause we did hear it way back when, um, when he first actually dropped it, we listened to that do lab set and everything. And yep. we were like, what is this track? <laughs> and there it is. And it literally took 2019 by storm for sure. Um, you know, bubbling through last summer, through the end of last summer, pretty much since he dropped it at Coachella to the end of the year. Um, and then going into this year, really, really strong. You could hear it from a trap DJ set to a um, to the biggest. They said, you know, Tiesto's throwing it in this set and things like that. Like that's pretty massive for that to get to that level. Like where guys who were playing, you know, different types of dance music, progressive house, and and you know all that kind of stuff. Trans- EDM trap. I yeah. remember we were at the Brownie and Lemonade show at the church, and the yep. trap in the middle of the trap set, the DJ dropped losing it. Yep. And that's a perfect example of that genre bending, kind of like what you were talking about was the genre bending. And it's just the, the man, the, the track had that, that really, that, that horn. Like, yeah. The horn, the horn was just really the thing that stands out about it. It's, it makes it the track, like the, the baseline in itself and everything else about the track is dope, but it's really that horn. There's great use of like that, that ship horn and uh, really, really just captured everybody with it. Really great drops too, like just the build up to the drops. Um, and yeah, the baseline and everything. Like if you weren't playing or dancing to losing it last year or this year, um, you, you really have something wrong with you. I, I think I even heard in a couple commercials or something like that. Like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's done that and it's yeah. had, it's, uh, it's had its impact for sure. And I, I hear house music pretty much all through, um, commercials now. I mean, it's kind of always been that way, but it hasn't been the way it is now. I feel like they're, um, definitely taking it and in, in running with it. I'll hear some tracks. Uh, I heard electricity on a commercial. And that, and that's kind of the sad one. Like we, you, you, ha, you picked um, Fisher's track of losing it and it actually lost to uh, electricity, um, which was the track from the group of um, who's, who's, who did that group? I'm sorry. That track, uh, Silk City. I'm sorry. God. Oh, Silk City. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's what I was talking about. That track of electricity uh, actually won the Grammy this year. Um, yeah. Silk that City was, is Mark Ronson and Diplo. Yeah. Diplo and Mark Ronson for Silk City and they dropped it. They, they, they win for that track electricity. That's actually the, what beat out losing it, but it was actually just one of those big things. Like that's true tech house. And they made it to kind of like the big stream, the mainstream, the big level that, you know, that just proves that any genre can get bended in there. So that's, it's pretty dope that, that, that they actually got in there. So. Yeah. And I think um, this track also like had a shift in the electronic, dance music community yeah. from the like warp bassy sound um dubstep was really big for a, lo- a long part of the decade mostly thanks to skrillex and right. i think losing is kind of where electronic music is now t- 
completely shifted over to where house music is the uh, defining genre going right now. Yeah. And as it should, you know, that's one of the OG ones, you know, techno's making a big comeback along with it Mm -hmm. because most of the uh, house DJs play techno. It's very similar. It's pretty much, you know, along the same trees. So it's going to, it's going to break into it. And it's good to see it actually coming back to that way. And I think we had talked about that on one of the earlier episodes. It was like, um, we, we started to see that shift. A um, couple years ago, and now that was kind of like the changing in the garden, in, in a sense, because you would hear that track everywhere. And now you really do. A lot of the times, I when we've caught somebody who's more of a trap DJ or something like that, we've actually seen where some of the um, DJs incorporate house into their sets, and you know, like a lot of bass house sets and things like that are involving trap. So they're already bending as it is. Um, you know, that's and that's kind of where we're going at. So great, I think that's a great song pick, man. Um, yeah, so let, with that, let's transition to our producer of the decade conversation. Yeah. Um, let's talk about our favorite producers. Another very, very tough decision. Yeah. Because you can go any direction you really want by naming it producer of the year. But right. who would you say is the producer of the decade of the 2010s? And we've mentioned some names already that could be included in the conversation. Pharrell, yeah. Dip, Diplo, Mark Ronson, Skrillex. So hard, man. That's, yeah, that's the wild thing about it. That's such a difficult place to go, to be honest, because that's, that's exactly what we're trying to figure out is, yo, that's such a tough concept of all the people who've made such a big impact. So for me, um, I kind of stay in that experimental, um, you know, different kind of stage of music and literally can do any kind I think, um, all together, as far as the music being done, I think they can do it absolutely, um, to the fullest of its extent. And, uh, the guy that I went with and to me had a huge impact in the 2010s is flying Lotus. Um, great choice. Flying Lotus for me, when he came, when he comes out with you're dead, um, you know, the things that he already come out before I already have flying Lotus pretty high up. So that's kind of like my fault. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so I, I'm again, I'm again being, this is, this is my picks. That's why people have to think for themselves as we always say on, on the antidote. Um, but it, you, it'd be really hard to put him up against anybody else and not really pick flying Lotus. Like flying Lotus has such a diverse and indulgent background of music um, being the nephew of of Coltrane, the Coltrane, <laughs> you know, yeah. it it really does build to where this this dude has so many different flavors and sounds, and that's why he's always been like so high up to me is because he can literally do everything, and he has the best collective of musicians he that he works with. Um, so recently dropping Flamagra, which is honestly is still very high. And actually I would put it very high up in my albums of the decade. I would actually move it into an album of the decade for me. Um, just because of the, the, the greatness that he put out, um, with, with that album this year. But anyway, um, if you look at all of those things that he's done, I think he's really transcendent as well when it comes to his shows. And as far as for, you know, making his beats and things like that, the 3d shows, um, there's not a lot of guys who are doing different things because everybody's doing the the big light shows, you know, on LED boards and all these lights like that. Um, while he has some of that in it, he actually is transforming his his 
the way he performs by using wild ass props and stuff like that. Like the whole, um, big floaty mountain thing that he was using yeah. for a little bit. And he looks like he's on like a platform and he's like floating in the sky while he's got this wild ass music playing. Um, <laughs> and he's got the 3d is 3d with the glasses and you've seen it, uh, Polly. So I, I haven't even, um, I can't even say that I've seen that, but I know that you got to peep that and that dude, man is on another level. That's what I'm talking about. Like he, he really does it for all the production side from if you want some funky dope, you know, funk tastic kind of stuff. Great. He can do it. If you want some, um, you know, hip hop boom bap, he could do it. He, you want some Dilla ish, but his own style kind of shit. That's, that's him. I mean, he literally can cover the whole spectrum. Um, so yeah, I, I got flying Lotus, man. Yeah. Flying Lotus. I think is a definitely an amazing pick. Cosmo grandma dropped in 2010. That was one of his. Yeah. Cosmo grandma. Moments. Yeah. It's, that was probably one of my favorite. That's actually my favorite one from the earlier of the 2010 for sure. When between your dead and that one. Yeah. And then, uh, until the quiet comes dropped in 2012 year dead dropped in 2014 and Flamagra in 2019. He also made a movie that he scored in the middle in between yeah, the movie too. Can't forget about that. Um, and it's, he's just awesome, man. Uh, flying Lotus, amazing, amazing pick. And for me, it, it was tough, man. Cause it's like, every time I think of another name, it makes me think like, damn, how can I really rank these guys or separate them? <laughs> right, or anything like right. that? <laughs> but um, the choice I'm going to go with for producer of the year, I'm going to, I love these guys. So I got to go with LP from Brooklyn. Okay. That's my producer of the year, hip hop producer. Yeah. Um, Run the jewels, not only dropped three amazing albums in the decade, but uh, run the jewels actually started when, it was like the president of adult swim linked up killer Mike with LP killer. Mike was trying to make, uh, I forgot what the fuck the album was that they made together rap music in 2012. Okay. And, uh, rap music. He kind of wanted to make it as his tribute to ice cube at the time. And he, he wanted to work with just one producer. So the guy from adult swim was like, you ever fuck with LP? So he linked them up and LP produced all of rap music for Killer Mike. Um, yeah, and that was like the birth. Yeah, so that was the birth of them. And LP is, a, I think, a very unique producer and a very New York producer at the same time. Like, <laughs> for sure. uh, you know what I mean? When you hear the beats, hear they, they definitely sound like New York. Um, they're noisy. There's a lot of shit going on. And sometimes they're really abrasive. Right. It's just kind of, I mean, I, it's like heavy metal of rap, but it's definitely rap beats. You know what I mean? It's right. kind of really hard to explain and really put them into a, a, a category like that. But I think between those albums, rap music, RTJ1, RTJ2, and RTJ3, I think I would have to put him as producer of the year. Plus I love run the jewels. So I'll talk about them anytime I can, but uh, specifically <laughs> once you put killer Mike on these beats, it's over. Yeah. That's one. that's really one of the lethalist combinations of producer rap duo, especially in the 2010s. Um, and you know, LP gets down on the run the jewels. He raps too, you know, he does his thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and he's been around forever. Yeah. Um, 
he was one of the OGs of underground hip hop. So it it might even been the first like real underground hip hop album, uh, Funk Crusher Plus. Right. Fuck, I forgot what that group was called. (laughs) Coming in so prepared. Look, man, this is. But it was the first. It was the first album that dropped on Rockus Records, right? Back in you know Company Flow. Sorry. Yep, Company Flow. Company Flow. So that was in '97. Fun Crusher Plus was the first release on Rockus Records. Then LP ran Def Jux Records. A bunch of releases from Mr. Liff. LP himself, Aesop Rock, um, but you know, p- huge success on the underground hip hop scene in the early 2000s, and then kind of transitioned into Run the Jewels, or kind of both him and Killer Mike, you know, link up in their 40s and somehow find the greatest success of their careers despite <laughs> hustling for 20 yeah. years before that, which is just an amazing story in itself. Yeah, I like that. I love that story of that just because of the fact that uh, that he definitely kind of th- that's what they both were doing. Like they're both were just putting out music. Of course, Killer Mike had been around before that as well. He's part of the Dungeon family. You know, Outkast tried to put him on. Definitely Big Boy really was trying to put him on even more. The whole so. world, that was one of the Outkast's biggest hits. Yeah, the whole world was really, everybody knew who Killer Mike was, but he never really had his own singular success. And same for LP, obviously. You know, he's doing, doing some underground stuff, but really dope classic hip hop shit. And they've, like you said, just kind of connected at at later in their age. And really they've been doing everything. And it's, it's really transformed for them a lot because now they're, they're doing a lot of tours. They get headlining shit and you know, they're, they're really killing the game. So independent, doing it independently with no push from a label or anything like that. They were the first artists signed to a mass appeal. So they've helped with distribution. Other than that, they're just dropping the shit themselves, recording it themselves. And really mass appeal is, is that's Nas's label. So you're working with some dudes Mm -hmm. that, you know, Nas already is at the top and he's, he's one of the OGs of the game. So he's just really trying to help them get their stuff out. So he's not going to go in there and try to steal a bunch of their stuff because he, he just knows what he needs to get as far as his, their cut. So yeah, it works out. And then LP just put together some of the, the greatest string of, I think probably the best is, like I said, during this during the 2010s like when you think about all the producer rapper duos from back in the day where it's one producer um and then one hip-hop artist and you think about all those duos and stuff the 2010s didn't really have that so um not a consistent one at least and yeah and i think there might be one brewing uh with freddie gibbs and madlib but they also do shit without each other so it's a little bit different with them yeah, they're not a full, like a full fledged group. Like now, it's a group, mm-hmm. and there's nothing like really like like them. So they kind of have their own niche of where they're at, and the fact that it's it's LP and like you said, the abrasive. I love the abrasive sounds that he uses. He he uses a lot of like big crashes and noises, and um, you know things like that. That stuff that kind of fills the room. Um, and, and that's just part of his style, but that's, that's the difference when you said he's New York, but not like <laughs> he yeah. kind of has different, different sounds to make it push to that, to that extra edge. It almost sounds like, um, you know, it, it, it's got like a little bit of almost an EDM ish, but hip hop still like it's, right. it's, it's still got that feel. Um, 
when you're talking about like the the sounds and the loudness of of the beats but that's what he's going for and it really just reminds me of a of a newer epmd kind of thing but with just two you know because they're mm-hmm. very political very charged group and his beats like kind of help that it helps the persona like without their beats it doesn't it doesn't make the same like a run the jewels is, is is a patented sound and that's really props to uh lp and of course prop to uh killer mike because uh, it's it's his iconic voice on there but also the beats themselves is what kind of defines them as well that's you'll know once it, it's a kind of lp from that sound and if you hear killer mike on it then you know that's a run the jewels tracks so, yeah it really is really dope i, I, I love uh, what they're doing and rtj one you know all all of all three of them so far have been really dope and i even got the remix album of the the second one meow the jewels yeah meow the jewels (laughs) yeah and that that also was amazing because i think they dropped that like as a meme as a joke yeah it's a fucking joke bro (laughs) but they set up like a gofundme or something and it was money was going to go to cat shelters and they raised all the money like in two days hell yeah uh, it's kind of crazy the the level of producers that they got for this remix album, which is strangely enough, it's all cat sounds. <laughs> That's <laughs> that what's so funny about it. Yeah. It is so funny. I haven't played it out. I don't think I've ever played out Meow uh, uh, <laughs> the Jewels. Yeah, but I want this, to so bad. I just don't have Sno- anywhere to do it. They got Snoop Dogg doing the like meow mix commercial. Like and they remix <laughs> yeah. his voice is going like meow, 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 meow. You know? Yep. All right. I got the whole thing, brother. It's it's such a funny album, but it's still got some good some of the tracks in there for real, for real, are really dope. But it's yeah. just funny because they're cat sounds. So it's got uh the Alchemist is on there, Boots is on there, Dan the Automator, Just Blaze, Prince Paul. All made beats on this Meow the Jewels, which is the remix album to run the jewels too. And it's literally just LP and Killer Mike rapping over different different beats that were made from the album and using cat voices and sounds. Um the funniest shit ever. But yeah, definitely uh I, I'm not mad at your I'm not mad at your choice. And I mean you, again, this is our perspective of music, so a lot of people are gonna be like, No way. And it's like, okay, well that's why it's music, it's subjective. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's all, you know, it's all debatable, even within myself. It's just hard to narrow down to one right. producer because, you know, it's kind of like, what are you going to rate it on? Uh, like album sales, or are you going to rate it on art, artistic quality, or are you going to rate it on, you know, best hip hop beats or it's right. You can go any direction on it. You know, even when you're going into genre, you can pick a different producer for every genre or biggest you know most influential producer so we just kind of went with our favorites yeah for real because that would be like if you wanted to go every genre that would take forever (laughs) oh yeah just way too many you can't even do it (laughs) because you know what i actually you know what that just made you bring made me think of uh ludwig gorenson Oh, you said that too because he's in there too. Another great choice, yeah, Ludwig Gorenson. <laughs> That's like kind of hard not to include him too. But th- you, again, you got to think of impact and where you were feeling it, that kind of thing. So that's why we love these things, man. <laughs> yeah. So let's go um, into our album of the decade discussion here. I think this one's really important. I think this one was also really, really difficult to narrow down. But we were talking yeah. about all right before, so there was kind of three albums that stood out and these three albums all kind of bring the same message. And these, all three of these albums 
probably would not have dropped if it wasn't for the atmosphere in the country at the, you know, in the post Trayvon Martin era of, right. of American culture and black music culture. Um, and these three albums, I kind of wanted to discuss together because they're all about that atmosphere in the country at the time, the, the injustice kind of being live streamed to you all day and all night. Um, the, the, the race kind of issues that were brought up to the mainstream with the Trayvon Martin shooting and then leading into the, uh, I would say like the Colin Kaepernick movement, um, police brutality happened, you know, basically being live streamed on your social media to you day in and day out. And we've talked about a lot of these issues, um, on previous episodes of the antidote. Yep. Um, you know, these kind of issues have, have affected us in our own backyard in Colorado Springs. Yep. And he's still mm. right. So, and these kind of issues, you know, if you're living in America somewhere, listening to us, they've been probably impacted your community as well, which is completely unfortunate. Um, but the three albums I wanted to talk about is the black Messiah by D'Angelo, which was the first one that dropped uh, in 2014, right before Christmas, it was a complete surprise drop. Right. And I'm not going to name it my album of the decade, but it really is my album of the decade. I don't know. It's, it's one of the most beautiful, <laughs> amazing albums of my life. I might rank it like my top number one favorite album of all time, even though it, tomorrow I might not even be my number one favorite D'Angelo album of all time. <laughs> it's really hard, man. <laughs> but it was, it was really powerful. Uh, Black Messiah. Yes. The Black Messiah. And this album uh, was actually influenced completely by the Ferguson. Was that, that was Mike Brown? Yes. Mike Brown got shot with by a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, it led to, um, protests and, and things like that. It was a, yes. a, a big, you know, national story at the time. And when that happened and the movement was going on, D'Angelo finally decided to release his follow-up to Voodoo, which was his masterpiece that he released 14 years before. So right. uh, D'Angelo is kind of a recluse. Nobody really knows anything about him except when he comes out like a, uh, you know, there's a couple of times where he had like a DUI, he wrapped his car around a, a tree and then he went to yeah. rehab for cocaine for a while. So those kind of stories would get out about him. But other than that, like nobody knew what D'Angelo was up to. Right. Um, Especially musically. Yes. And there's always like talks, like every once in a while, Questlove would post something that he was working on some music with D'Angelo. But after the Ferguson incidents, D'Angelo was just moved to release this uh, album on December 15th, 2014 black Messiah. And there's a lot of, of black empowerment and yeah. uh, you know, a lot of albums about police brutality or songs about police brutality and, and things like that on this album. So right. this album was the first one. And then the second album was directly influenced by black Messiah. Um, once black Messiah dropped that's when Kendrick decided that he, he was fooling around with his friends for a couple of years, doing a bunch of uh, what ended up being to pimp a butterfly. He didn't know if his second album, he was going to go in that direction, but he said once he heard black Messiah, 
they wanted to get their album out as quickly as possible and go in that jazzy direction. Right. And so yeah. that, that dropped, you know, a couple months later. Yeah. And that was the whole, th- the whole thing is that th- those two kind of are, are intertwined and connected. And we even have a third one that kind of goes mm-hmm. with, along with that as well. And, uh, <clears throat> but specifically those two, let's, let's talk about the, the, the levels and the heaviness that we got. Cause it was, yeah, just like you said, the, the Mike Brown situation happened and forgive me for earlier. Cause that's where I fucked up kind of blending those, t- those together. Cause at this point we're, they're almost as if we are blending those together. They happen so often, but anyways, um, it, it was looking at how the dynamic was. And it, it really just reminded me like of thinking of, you know, the sixties and seventies kind of like going against the grain music, um, the empowerment stuff, you know, James Brown coming out with, um, I'm black and I'm proud. Um, you know, that's in the seventies, but then even earlier than that, you have some of the groups that were out there making the militant music for the, um, you know, the, the black Panthers and things in that late sixties after dealing with everything that was going on in the, in the, uh, world too, you know, Martin Luther King and everything. So it reminds me of, of those things, you know, um, it brings you back to that kind of like that feeling of the music. And that's really what it had to bring, you know, in light of the situation songs, the songs on the album were very, very powerful and they, and they were just fluid and very truthful. And uh, so like the charade, he says, all we wanted was a chance to talk, but instead our bodies are outlined in chalk. So he's kind of laying the message for you there. And both of these albums and the third one we'll talk about in a moment, really, paint a picture of black music through the years. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, um, it's a, it's a culmination and it's really, uh, it, it, it was kind of long overdue, at least from, from the standpoint of, you know, things that were still going on from the, in this timeline. Um, but it, it was very reminiscent of those days of back in the, in the sixties and, mm-hmm. you know, in prior and so except for this time it's televised you can watch it on your facebook and everything else like you're seeing it from everywhere so <clears throat> you have to you have to feel for the people that are watching this that hey there's going to be something that happens like there's a rep- there's repercussions for this and so the music itself is is just like a representation of everything that we had saw at that time at that time for both albums yeah and the third album uh, let's bring that one into the discussion solange a seat at the table this one dropped, uh, I believe, in 2016. A seat at the table. Uh, seat at the table. Yes, I believe that was 2017. Okay, maybe I'm incorrect, but somewhere around. I think it's. I think it's right there. So yeah, yeah. Um, September 30th, 2016. Oh, there you go. Seat at the table. Her first number one album. Yeah. And this and that one was featured a, Cranes in the Sky, Don't Touch My Hair. Yeah, and that was another another album of uh, black expression, especially from a woman's standpoint. You know, Don't Touch My Hair right. was a, was like the black woman album of that, or a track of the anthem for, for black women. Like, Don't Touch My Hair, because that's, that's for real. Um, even just having my daughter, you know, she has her little puffs and people want to touch her hair. Um, you know, having that space, like it's not okay. (laughs) You know, those are, those are things that happen to, especially black women all over, um, that they don't necessarily have 
things that they can say or do about that sometimes. And that's, that was very powerful. And then again, the, the underlying message of, of black men being killed and, um, you know, the, the police brutality is also a, uh, a factor in this album. And you hear it through a lot of the songs like don't touch my hair. Um, you, you hear it through pretty much the, every track that that is played on there. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's really powerful. Um, a lot of, a lot of, publications have uh this album as well as Solange's other album um actually just really up there as far as some of the greatest albums of the decade just because yeah. of the of the power and I, and it's crazy because we, we talk about Solange being Beyonce's little sister and we know Beyonce's impact you know because also Lemonade on the other spectrum for for Beyonce was a big was a great big album you know um and having formation uh, formation was actually one of those songs too, you know, um, kind of talking about some police brutality stuff. She got, she got in a lot of trouble for her video on that. I believe, I, I believe that movie with her video was formation where she was dancing on the, uh, police car. <laughs> yeah. <Erica laughs> Beyonce. Bad, remember, uh, Erica Badu had that video too, which yeah. is controversial. That was this decade too, where she was walking through daily Plaza naked. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think all of it kind of, as the decade is kind of switching, um, there is a, you know, a black female empowerment and a a black feminist movement, which is really guiding music in a beautiful direction. Yeah. I think that, I think that definitely helped the, the recent ones that we've heard because we've talked about some of those albums on this show specifically, actually, um, legacy, legacy this year from Jamila Woods, um, all the Rhapsody albums, hip hop albums. I mean, one Um, of the biggest pop songs of the year was truth hurts by Lizzo. Truth hurts by Lizzo. Um, yeah. I mean, it just, just a lot of those, those albums uh, helped really push a lot of that, uh, Shea Butter Baby from Ari Lennox. Yep. Same, same thing, you know, um, even the Summer Walker, she's like the other side of that. I think a lot of that had to do with what, what we're seeing now. And, and, and so very powerful, very powerful, great mu- music because before that didn't, that stuff wasn't really allowed. Um, so hearing it come around that time as well, it, it just was another powerful movement and especially to be done, especially from such big artists. Right. You know, if, if these were people, nobody ever heard of, it wouldn't have mattered, but exactly since, since these are, some of the biggest artists of the past 20 years, you know, D'Angelo is revered as a legend by pretty much anybody that knows anything about music. Yeah. Kendrick Lamar the has become a voice of the generation of hip hop that he's in. Um, and Solange, obviously not piggybacking off of the Knowles name and, and really just putting it out there herself. I think, yeah, you know, since it was such major artists doing this, it made it more of a moment. Yes. And it kind of all ties into with the, the whole Colin Kaepernick shit after that. Yeah. So I think it's hard to rate between those three albums. Um, but one of those three is your album of the decade. So let's go into more detail about, uh, what you selected as album of the decade. So my album of the decade from at least those three specifically is To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, <clears throat> as we kind of touched on before, just just really strong vibes of 
black empowerment. Um, just the songs itself, they 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 have so much deep meaning, um, and especially with Kendrick kind of playing God in a sense, or speaking of the voice of a higher power throughout it, kind of making it like a contrasting. It, it, the the storytelling is so in depth, so realistic that you feel it. Like if, if you were to ever go through those situations, listen to the lyrics and actually have you been in that situation at your life? Um, you know, the, the one, the, the most powerful song on there. And um, at least from my standpoint um, is, is the story about talking to a, a bum. How, <laughs> how much he, a dollar cost? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was going to kind of go into the story of it because it's just such a dope track. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's just, it's Kendrick having a conversation. He's, he's already famous and he's in a limousine and he's, there's a bum over there, you know, he gets out and the bum's asking for a dollar and Kendrick's like, man, I'm kind of fed up. Everybody's asking me about money. So why should I give you one? And he goes back and forth and the bum is trying to talk to him in sense. And he's like, no, you know, you're going to pay, you're going to just go get liquor with that. And he's like, no, I'm telling you at the very end of the song as a wrap up, he says that he's God. <clears throat> and I thought that was super mm-hmm. just in like powerful, man. Cause like, of course in the Bible, you know, you would hear Jesus, Jesus is man just out there and you would never really know, you know, he's not showing off no things. So as far as when it comes to religion, things like that, um, Christianity, that was a very powerful song, especially for somebody who grew up in the church, things like that. So it really made sense. And just, there was a lot of connection for me there as well as when you're talking about the, the black empowerment itself of, of everything um, that was embodied in that album. And actually it's pretty revered. I think it's, it's gotten at least three nods that I've seen as, as album of the decade as well. Um, yeah, just, and just, just for the social impact itself of that album. And it proved that you could do, that kind of music and still be successful. Yes. And this is, you know, Kendrick's I'm black and I'm proud album from the cover itself, where it's, right. it's Kendrick and all his homies in front of the white house. Right. Um, which speaking of which, how much a dollar cost Obama picked it as his, as his song, favorite song of that year as well. And, um, but from the beginning to the end, it kind of takes you on a roller coaster of black music through right. the years. Right. Um, from, from Wesley's Theory. Yeah, which Wesley's has, Theory, which has George Clinton. It's totally funk. It's totally right. in your face to For Free, which is kind of uh, scat, kind of, you know, like the <clears throat> spoken word over right. a jazzy beat. Right. Uh, to King Kunta, which is, you know, a, a braggadocio kind of hip hop yeah. track. I got a bone to pick to these walls, which is straight R and B. Well, institutionalized know. is right after uh, King Kunta. So yeah. in- institutionalized is probably one low key, one of my favorite tracks on the album <laughs> talking yeah. about being institutionalized, like literally as the song title is, is called, um, yeah, these walls, and then you go right into these walls, man. <laughs> uh, and that's these walls can talk. Thundercat on these walls. Yeah. There's production on this from uh thundercat there's production on this from flying lotus george clinton basically from from top to bottom it takes you on a journey of of popular black music through the ages 
You know what's crazy is Soundwave is all through this thing too, and he's so mm-hmm. slept on. Yeah, <laughs> he's another one too. That's like it's really hard to not throw him in a, that conversation because he literally is the power engine behind all of TDE. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just had to throw that out there, but yes, because <laughs> he's literally on every track as well, pretty much. Yeah, um, and it, it's amazing. Uh, he covers mental health issues on you, right, and on I. Both yep. sides of the coin. Uh, you and I, yep. And it's kind of, you know, he's just got this money from dropping a master, another masterpiece album. The one, two before this could also be in the album of the decade conversation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Good um, Kid, Mad City and Section 80, both. Yeah, and Section 80 might be low-key my favorite Kendrick album, but this is the best album that he released up to this up to this point, at least from from my standpoint. Uh, to Benford Butterfly to me is his culmination of all of the things that he built into and even after, because a lot of people have damn up there as well with a lot of social impact, which I don't feel like it had as much as to Benford Butterfly. Like, yeah. uh, I think damn was more, it, it was a continuation, but not as, as deep. I would think at least from my, from my standpoint, it had more of the mainstream appeal. Um, but it had still the great messages that it had, but nothing was as powerful as this. This was, this was, uh, you know, Kendrick's like Jimi Hendrix second album, you know, yeah, that, that could, that kind of thing. Um, and even, even D'Angelo, just like we were talking about, you know, voodoo was so long ago. And then you come and drop this, like this is the, the he dropped black Messiah. This is kind of like that version of that. So he's got to have that, that next. Cause technically that is his third album. If you look at it. So that kind of looks like that. Um, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really got that impact. And even the second half after you, you go from, from, um, you to all right, of course, which I just named as my song of the decade. Um, you got hood politics. He's talking about his politics. He's talking about his mom's, uh, complexion. Complexion is a very powerful song for me too. Yes. Um, I love complexion. First of all, that's probably my favorite track on there just on some low key stuff. Um, literally this whole thing is my favorite. So how do you even do that? But, um, I play it because it's got this, this down tempo, dancey two-step type of sound. And it's talking about complexion and it has Rhapsody on a given bars dope because, you know, talking about their complexion being, being black and, and her verse is so powerful on that track. Like Kendrick kills it too. (laughs) He says some, some wild shit on there. He said, I know what them Germans done, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he's talking about white people and stuff like that. But at the same time, he's like, complexion don't mean a thing. That's literally the hook is complexion. Complexion doesn't mean a thing. Um, that's such a powerful song to me. And it's, it's really about, um, black love, black, uh, um, self, um, just self love and everything that comes with that. So, especially for the, for the women and then you get Rhapsody spazzing on, on the verse. Um, she said one day the, the black, the president's going to be as black as me. Uh, (laughs) and you know, she's just, she's just doing her thing. So yeah, I mean, literally, and then you go to the black or the berry, um, <laughs> Mortal Man was such a powerful song. Mortal Man was such a powerful song, man. That song was crazy. And and Blacker the Berry uh, has Assassin on it, right? So it's got a like some reggae dub kind of shit to it. Um, I obviously a uh, empowerment song. That was the right. first single from this. Yep. Um, I love myself. <clears throat> Definitely sound like some James Brown funky shit. Like get into that breakdown. That. Yep. 
Like it sounded like Rick James and James Brown together. Like yeah. that, that sounded like that kind of song. And then at the end it flips. <laughs> yep. And then he ends it with mortal man. And you know, there's like a poem that kind of goes between all the tracks and you realize that the poem he is a, is a poem he wrote for Tupac and he's actually having a conversation with Tupac. Uh, right. Cause the whole album's about, you know, he just found this success. He's got all this money and now he's got this platform. He doesn't know what to do with it. There's all kind of temptation coming at him from, you know, selling your soul to the devil, to the, you know, um, to, to females and things like that. And it's, it's right. basically all about finding yourself in the middle of all this madness and trying to do the right thing. Exactly. And the, and all the conflicts that come with that. And it, it's just amazing. I really can't argue to pimp a butterfly is one of the best albums of the decade for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely for me, it just has that impact. So, um, that is, that is my, my album decade. It's just so a really, really great piece of work. Yeah. Um, so with me, also a really tough decision because those th those three albums that we just discussed as album of the decade and kind of how they all tied in together it's hard for me to separate them rank them one above the other uh as i stated though black messiah might be one of my favorite albums of all time it definitely was the album that i listened to the most of the whole decade right but black messiah and to pimp a butterfly kind of met the expectations for me. Like I, I knew that when D'Angelo came back, he's going to drop an amazing album. Like it's just going to be the dopest shit you ever heard. And it was the dopest shit I ever heard. So right. uh, to pimp a butterfly, it, it, I would say it exceeded my, my expectations. Cause at that point I already knew how great Kendrick was. I already knew how great of uh, an album as a work of art in itself even separate from the songs on it, the album itself as a work of art that he was capable of delivering that. Um, I just didn't know he was able to deliver it with the great musicians that he worked with on that album. You know, I, I didn't think at that point that he was going to be able to drop that kind of album. Cause it, that's a very hard, very hard thing to do as your second major album release is to drop an album. That's not going to have hits in the club. That's not, gonna be on every radio station you know what i mean right like it's it's the complete opposite of the way drake ran his career um so that kind of met my expectations too so for album of the decade i'm gonna go with the album that when i heard it it just kind of blew me away uh in a different way like just totally once you hear it it's totally different from anything you've heard any new artist release in the past right uh, and for me, that album was Malibu by Anderson Pack. I would say this is my album of the decade. First got introduced to Anderson Pack on the Dr. Drake Compton album. Yep. I had no idea who Anderson Pack was. And I remember that that Drake Compton album came out as a pretty much surprise release. They announced it like a week before or something. And it was kind of in conjunction or inspired uh, by the Compton get out straight out of Compton movie that, that came out at that time. And Anderson Pack's got features on like half the tracks on there. I'm like, who the fuck is Anderson Pack? Right. And the song that stood up for me on the Compton album, uh, forgot what it's called. I think it's called 
sneakers or animals, animals with DJ Premier and Dr. Dre produced it. And that song just really stood out to me. His voice really stood out to me on that album. So did his hooks at first, like my first impression uh, of Pac from that Compton album was this dude's kind of like the next Nate dog with his smooth hooks and just, he just has a way with words and he's just got a kind of real smoothness to himself. Right. It's really rare kind of of a It's kind of a charisma that comes through, comes through in the songs. But then once Malibu drops and I don't remember what year Malibu dropped 2016. Yeah. January 15th, 2016 Malibu dropped and this album just completely blew me away from the get go. So he's not just the next Nate dog, but he's a, a drummer with his band, the free nationals. So he he's playing all the drums you hear on these tracks, right? He can sing his ass off and he can rap his ass off. And uh, Malibu was on many end of the year list as best album. It did receive a Grammy nomination, but it didn't win. I don't know why, but great production up and down this uh, Shafiq Hussein produced the bird. And which is so crazy because that track is so dope. <laughs> and it's like, yo, we talked about Shafiq Hussein earlier in the year on one of the episodes. Um, <laughs> right. Dude is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, Madlib produced The Waters. Ninth Wonder produced The Season Carry Me. Pomo produced Am I Wrong. Ninth Wonder did Without You. Katronada did Lightweight. The Free Nationals did Parking Lot. Room in here um, is like from uh Pac Pac Div. Div. Yep, he did room in here. Chris Dave and the drumheads. So Chris Dave is the the drummer. He's probably one of the best drummers in the world. I would say uh he is Robert Glasper's drummer. He was also the drummer in the Vanguard, which is D'Angelo's band from The Black Messiah. Yeah, Chris Daddy Dave. Uh High Tech produced Come Down. I mean, just amazing. Which is one of the, my favorite songs of the year or decade as well. Oh yeah, definitely one of my favorite songs of the decade. Uh, you definitely heard it, even if you didn't know you heard it. Yeah, and it's pretty dope that um, you know a couple of the tracks are there. There's very there's only two samples on the entire track. Um, one one was a um, hiatus coyote. Yep, and that's with on without you. And then the uh, come down actually the beginning. Just the beginning verse is actually Israeli um, national anthem. Yeah, and the, the amazing, <laughs> the album from top to bottom is amazing. There's not a single track yes. on there that I would skip. Uh, just you are correct. Just kind of starting with the bird. I think it really sets the pace of the album. That this is going to be some different shit that you ever heard, and that you're going to hear some amazing story t- storytelling going through the the next, you know, the journey of the next 45 or 50 minutes that your ears are going to be taken on. Right. And it's crazy. The So it's like when you hear the the order, that's almost like a song you would end an album with. And he starts it with it. And that's, I love that. That's just for me. Like, like, <laughs> like that's a big thing for flow, like a big thing of flow of an album. Like, cause the first song is literally the bird is the worst sings to me. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of got like this slower tempo thing. And that's what you 
think to start it with. And I would probably never do it that way, but he did. And it just works. <laughs> he did. But it kind of sets the story of, of Anderson pack in that kind of yeah. tells you what, what he's been through up until this point. Right. And it, you know, that story kind of of him growing up kind of comes through the album, like uh, on the waters, it goes through a bunch of his history, you know, about his mom in prison, right? Uh, the season in Carry Me. He talks about him when he he was six years old, got his first pair of Jordans. Yep. Mama, um, could you carry me? Yeah. <laughs> so the album is kind of covered with, you know what? I've had a lot of loss in my life. I've had a lot of things I've had to overcome. I've had a lot of problems in my life, but I'm here now. And, um, you know, towards the end, he's got to celebrate. So it's kind of like, you know what, we're here, we're going to party, we're going to do it, and we're going to be the happiest motherfuckers once we make it. And For that, real. that's kind of what Anderson Pack is to me. Yeah. Um, so this is his second album as Anderson Pack. He was Breezy Lovejoy before. He dropped Venice, I believe, in 2015, the year before. He dropped Venice, which is the first uh, of his albums as Anderson Pack. And that one kind of tells the story of the hustler Anderson Pack. And this one kind of goes more into his history and, and his family and kind of the stuff that he'd been through and the stuff that he's seen that, that kind of led to this point, which was really the point where he kind of be, began to be noticed by people. Right. And when, once you see this cat live, like he's going to be your favorite cat ever. Absolutely. We've, I've seen him twice now. Uh, mm-hmm. Me and you both, me and you both went both times and literally top three performances for real. Um, definitely top performances of the decade for me. Um, if not some of my, of my life for sure. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And, and definitely just, just everything, the waters you specifically talk about uh, the waters. It reminds me for some reason that's that track reminds me of like my grand, my grandparents. Um, and I don't know why, but it's just, it's got this funky little beat. It's got the funky beat, but then it's just BJ, the Chicago kid comes in and gives you that, that hook and the way it's delivered. And it sounds something like I would be at church, like in my grandparents' mm-hmm. church or something like that. And that's what it really reminds me. So I love that track. It hits pretty, uh, pretty good for me. Cause I, I really love the, the way of everything connects for me. Um, you know, stepped in the water, the water was cold, chilled my body till, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I feel, I feel that I feel like weight. That sounds like weight in the water. It sounds like old Heminal. So right. it kind of has like that, that approach. And then you get the, the Anderson bars in there. And he, he's just going in, man, top to bottom. I, I'm not mad at that at all. As far as your choice, I got this on vinyl and this is a frequent played album as well for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this might be if my most listened to after that D'Angelo one, for sure. Like I can still put it on today and it sounds like I haven't listened to it a million times already. It's just beautiful. Uh, it definitely opened my eyes to, to a whole nother level of music that I didn't know was there before that. Right. It's, it's soulful, but it's also streetful. It's just, Hey, guy's amazing. Am I wrong, man? Like, am I wrong is definitely a great ass song too. He has so much fun in his other tracks too. So it's not always like, it's not like you're just listening to this, this, this story of his life of right. him just kind of going through it. He has those, those happy portions, you know, and even funny portions like your prime is a funny ass song. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's literally talking about a girl with fake titties. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's a funny song. Like that's Silicon Valley. Oh, Silicon yeah, Valley. My bad. Yeah, Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. Yeah. <laughs> Your prime kind of goes into it too, though. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, that's, it, he's just a fool. <laughs> Uh, Anderson, man, he he delivers such a dope product. And even for his last two albums, when you come to to Oxnard and Ventura, um, I don't know if anybody besides Anderson for me had the best best run besides like a Kendrick and maybe J. Cole right there. Right. J. Cole to me actually did have a dip with the uh, Friday Night Lights album. I did not like that album. So (laughs) no, but I think 2014 Forest Hill Drive was a, a big album. Yeah, no, that shit jumped up there. That 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 was like where he was coming for me because I, I loved the Friday Night Lights mixtape mm-hmm. and then he dropped the album and the album wasn't even better than the mixtape. So I was upset. So yeah. I didn't like I didn't jump on a bandwagon until after he came with 2014 uh, Drive, you know, Forest Hill Drive. And that's when I really jumped back on the Coltrane. Like that's when I was like, OK, this dude, this dude's cold as shit, too. Um, <laughs> also, also can be in that producer of the decade discussion. We didn't even bring oh, yeah. up his name. Oh yeah. For J Cole, for being a producer. Yeah, for sure. But then you can even go down big crit. Cause like big crit is for me in that same category. Um, when you talk about producer rapper, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But guy big, does big crit produce for other people? Yeah, he does. Just not as, just not as much as like the big mainstream people. Cole has done bigger production tracks. So for some big people, yeah. Like, for Kendrick. Like Kendrick. Um, he's also, yeah. pre- he produced RNP by uh, YBN Corday and Anderson Pack. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Creed's more of that. He got like that, that street Southern sound. So I know he's done shit yeah. for Bun B. Um, I know he's done shit for, um, a ball and MJG. So, you know, people like that, but, um, nothing, nothing to like the, the Kendrick levels and stuff like that. But anyways, yeah, a- absolutely. Anderson Pack. um, whew. I don't know. He just, I feel like he had the, he maybe had the run of the decade outside of Kendrick Lamar. (laughs) Like I'm really trying to put it together for that. Like I'd have to, I'd have to have that in that conversation for me. He's very, very impactful. And so that kind of actually even brings us into our next one because we just talked about the album, but we wanted to look at, um, we wanted to look at male kind of like who our male artists of the decade was. Um, and it just kind of rolls into that. And it was, that one was very hard as well. Just cause again, I, I'm talking about Anderson Pack in a very high regard and you'd say you don't have him. And I kind of, you know, got, went right into it as far as it's for me, it's Kendrick hand, hands down. Um, Kendrick was the artist of the decade, no doubt. Uh, he had features on his on his albums. So let's let's not get it twisted. J Cole went platinum twice without having any features on his albums. I do understand that that pressing, but in that precedence. But I also look at it from the standpoint of uh, that was done more in the streaming era, where streaming was now counted towards your stats. Kendrick was doing that before that went into your stats because they didn't start in, interpreting stats as far as streams into your stats until 2016. So. And that's when the concept even started to come about because I don't think that actually hit the billboard until the last two years. So he was already, Kendrick was doing that. He might've had to push whatever. When you talk about successful, I mean, of course we look at Drake too. You have to say Drake probably had the more um, lucrative run of the 2010s. 
um, as far as for being a pop artist. And, and we've talked about that, Paulie. We, we, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can call him a full on pop artist just because of some of the tracks that he makes. But well, I call him Drake, an entertainer. Yeah. Drake, yeah. Drake is an entertainer. Um, you know, he's 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 just up there in a superstardom level. Um, so, and, and, you know, of course people are going to say post Malone, stuff like that. He's too late in the game. Kendrick has been doing it since literally the beginning of the 2010s to the end of the 2010s. So even though we didn't get a Kendrick album this year, he's filled us with at least five albums in 10 years that, and of course like side, side albums and things like that, he's really given us a lot. And that's including like the, in the untitled, uh, albums that he dropped, um, you know, all, all of that uh, Black Panther soundtrack, yeah. all the above that he had a lot of influences too. Um, and then you got to look at his camp too. Like the people that he runs with also had a very successful year. TDE is probably the label of the year, when, and especially in the rap, the rap area. So um, Dreamville was right behind it though. I would think from like a rap standpoint, building your own sound and building your own group and collective of people. Um, TDE has a step, but not, not very much. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. Like if you look at Kendrick from literally the beginning of the 2010s till now, um, he did a lot and he really transformed music to me. I think he made music that, like you said, didn't, especially with uh, like Topimba Butterfly, Good Kid, Mad City had, had radio hits on there. He was able to do Poetic Justice you know, and that was a track with Drake, you know, to being able to kind of do that, to get that, that, um, mainstream appeal, but he was able to make music in general that touched all the masses and was still able to go platinum. Regardless, we've seen a lot of guys who stick to strictly conscious and never sell a lot of records. Um, J Cole is the only other exception to that. Yeah, but the rest of these guys have more of a gimmick. J Cole and Kendrick are on on a, a level of their own just because of the style they make, uh, the style they make of music, and they're able to still sell and reach to a group of people, somewhat like a Pac. You know, Pac had some radio hits. He had some big hits, but not that many when you look at it. You know what I mean? He was more of a generational figure that people just fucked with on that level. Um, so yeah, it, Kendrick Lamar definitely hands down had the best for me. Awesome. Yeah. It's tough for me to disagree. Um, but you know, if I just agreed with you on all these, it, we'd be done five minutes, you know, 55 minutes ago or however long this has been going on. <laughs> so I, I'm going to say my artist of the decade, I'll probably catch hate, but it's Kanye West. I no, think, no hate. I, I like, I like that well, choice. Not from you, not from you, but <laughs> from general people. Like if I posted that, I guarantee it'd be just flame. Showing up. <laughs> well, prove them, show them the facts. Tell them the facts. Yeah. So in 2010, at the top of the decade, Kanye, uh, this was like post Taylor Swift bullshit, uh, post 808s after he broke up with his girl and, and his mom passed away. He dropped 808s. I think that was like an 08. And then the Taylor Swift shit happened. So he was, that's when the first time he really started seeing hate in his career, Kanye goes to Hawaii, calls up a bunch of people to work on this album. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy, which to me is, is my favorite Kanye album. It's definitely Kanye's Magnus Magnum Opus. Like it's very, this album's very heavy, very overly produced. 
very big. Like, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if a hip hop album has ever been made on the scale of this one. Um, he's got a who's who of everyone on here. So right. that's in 2010. That's at the start of the decade. Would you and even call my beautiful twisted dark fantasy, a hip hop album? I, I mean, I, I do, but it's so different. Like runway. Yeah. Let's, I want to talk about it a little bit because that has actually been hailed as probably the best album of the decade by lots of publications yeah. um, that are out there. They have that as, as the number one. Um, and I think it really transformed, it did transform hip hop during that time because it was so different. Runway was a, uh, runaway is a runaway. Yeah. Runaway. Yeah, runaway. Runaway. And I said runway. Runaway, uh, was definitely one of those impactful songs of, the 2010s, you know, um, taking, saying, take, this is, this one's for the assholes, you know, and the, just mm-hmm. the iconic piano start of the dun. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of like, like the most basic stripped down beat of the whole thing. Right. Cause everything else is just really large. Yeah. I, it's really hard to explain. I mean, overly produced is probably the, the best way I could say it. Like there's a lot going on. It's, Kind of like the when they were making like those seventies albums and shit, right? Um, Just a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things touching it. Yeah, so I would say it is a hip hop album because it's Kanye. Like you know, was eight oh eight a hip hop album? Uh, was was I don't know eight oh eight to me wasn't really a hip hop album either. Okay, was Yeezus a hip hop album? No, I don't think so. Okay, either. so but it's but <laughs> but it but is we, Kanye, which is still hip hop. So yeah. yeah, but we have to kind of label it in that discussion, right? Right. Yeah. Um, he followed up my beautiful dark twisted fantasy with Watch the Throne, another amazing album of the decade. Yeah, Watch the Throne with Jay Z was definitely the another heavy one because everybody talking about uh, Ham, hard as a motherfucker. That yo, that that song really set some shit off. And we're talking, and that was almost like when kind of like EDM branched into it a little bit, like the big loudness, like you said, the loudness of the beats, and he's got that, he's got that uh the choir kind of going off in the background, oh building and all that mm-hmm. all that kind of shit right there um niggas in paris was definitely one that was all that went off that's like, one of the biggest hip-hop tracks of the decade yeah absolutely absolutely hit boy murdered that beat yeah um i mean this album also just massive i mean you get the two this is like if biggie and tupac did an album together in the in the 90s right like Something that never happened again. Something that Drake and Future tried to repeat, but not to any level of this. You got exactly. Jay Z and Kanye West, the two biggest rappers of the game at the time, at their prime, just working together on, on this massive album, dropping massive hits. Otis, right? Um, Otis was was crazy. The Otis Redding sample, uh, "Little Love and Tenderness," that that sample, the way it was chopped up, was ridiculous. Um, and I believe I forgot who produced that one. P. Rock. Yeah, I believe so. Hold on, let me let me double triple check because I gotta give whoever they they gotta make sure they get their credit right. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of names on here. <laughs> that's the other thing about Kanye is if you're in the room when that song's written, he's going to give you credit. Uh, some of it are written by others, but 
He yeah, always I'm gets actually trying to. I don't actually. It just says. It just says West. Um, okay, as so far maybe as, like, Kanye produced it. I know Mr. Carmack had some stuff to do with the drums on that track. Yeah, he he helped flip that. To the, he helped build the the drums on those a little bit, but at least from at least from what I'm seeing as producers wise for Otis, it just has Kanye West. But there okay. is a uh, Harry Woods in there who's sitting there. Um, Reg Connolly. There are a bunch of uh, British dudes. Then my favorite track on that whole album was on the deluxe edition, uh, and it was produced by Pete Rock. It's the joy. The joy. That's yeah. my favorite shit that they did. Yeah, me too. Um, and then you know what's funny about that is people don't know that that's a that's a reused beat. So that beat was actually originally rapped on by uh, Rod Digger. So the original track of that beat, you can look it up today. It's got it's a Rod Digger track. Um, that was done in like way ahead before that, like way, way, way ahead of before that. And so he re he kind of redid it for this album. Like, I don't know what happened. Maybe she just came up off of it cause it wasn't popular or something. I don't know. But that literally that same track, everything for everything is a, is a Rod Digger joint. Um, and actually for me being when I was rapping, I actually took that beat and I rapped on it too. Cause I love that track. Uh, same Amazing. same thing. That was such a crazy track. Another Curtis uh, is a Curtis Mayfield. This one uh, for the sample on that, and yo, that probably was my favorite track on there. And and to see is Pete Rock, um, Lex Luger, Mike Dean, and uh, Basker, whoever Basker is. Oh, and of course, uh, Cuddy Cuddy was on the vocals. Kid Cuddy, um, yep. he was singing on there. Frank Ocean got a feature on there. Yeah. So he is so just in, in in all he drops that and then he comes and drops after that after that album is done um the next album that comes out from from him is Jesus yes and for this one Rick Rubin is a co-producer on a bunch of Jesus yes um so I I think Jesus is the point now after you've seen you know him reinventing himself with 808s then kind of coming back with uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and watch the throne and then switching to Jesus, he reinvents himself once again. Right. Got a lot of flack for the, for the name, of course. Yeah. And uh, he's got a song called I am a God featuring God. Um, So definitely got (laughs) a lot of hate, but this album is, I immediately, it was one of those albums too, that kind of, caught me off guard and I really appreciated what was happening in this album. Like it, it was completely different. Not too many people liked Jesus. I'm one of those people. Um, <laughs> I was not a big fan of this and I've actually grown a little bit more to appreciate it. And I don't think now for me, it's not as bad as I thought it was back then, but it's still my least favorite Kanye album by far. So on this album, before Yeezus dropped, this is the album that Kanye was kind of hyping up as his most Chicago album yet. Right. And this one, what kind of what caught my attention on it was it had a lot of industrial music kind of influence to it. Industrial music is kind of a electronic rock. Right. Um, kind of type thing, like think like early Nine Inch Nails kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and you remember those dudes? Uh, uh, was a Blue Man Group or maybe one of those other groups that kind of uses use that industrial mm-hmm. sound, making sounds out of the, like barrels and stuff like that, and you hear all kinds of 
yeah. different sounds. Yeah. So industrial music was really big in Chicago in the late eighties, kind of in that time that Kanye was coming up. So I kind of identified those elements and that's kind of what, what stood out to me. Um, but I, the songs like blood on the leaves and black blood skinhead. On, yeah. Blood on the leaves. Uh, so new, new slaves, blood on the leaves, black skin. I like black skinhead a lot. Um, yeah. I didn't realize that Gasefelstein was on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't know really who that was, but then I remembered that's who that was. Yep. <laughs> and I think um, Frank Ocean is on New Slaves as well. He's either on Black Skinheads or New Slaves. Um, what's his this, real name? Frank Ocean. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know because I see. <laughs> I mean, I see a lot of Hudson Mohawk on here too. So yeah. yeah, if you like that that industrial sound kind of, um, definitely he has a lot of of that in there. Um, so I, so I did like it. Um, but either way. There's plenty of points where he, he's not making music for everybody anymore. He's not making. Oh, make, for sure. You know what I mean? Like you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. And so a lot of people at this point thought Kanye fell off. And then he dropped uh, Life of Pablo in 2016. There was a lot of hype around that album. It was delayed a bunch of times and you know, classic Kanye kind of bullshit around it. <laughs> um, but also had some great hits. Um, Father Stretch My Hands, Ultralight Beam, No More Parties in LA, produced by Mad Lib, featuring Kendrick Lamar. Um, yeah, T Lop was a flop for me too, but T Lop yeah. wasn't that bad, to be honest. Um, it wasn't as bad as as Yeezus for me. Um, but I was not also a fan of this this album. Um, just because of the I, I felt like it was rushed. um incomplete and there was like some some missing thoughts like it it seemed just like a missing thought a little bit of the album but i did like a lot of the the house sound that he went to stuff like that yeah like fade fade is is one of my favorite tracks on there if not my favorite track on there yeah um but you can see that that old kanye is still there yeah, absolutely. With this album, you with this album brings it back kind of to where, you know what, there, this is a new Kanye we're dealing with. I think this one even has the song I Miss the Old Kanye on it. Yeah. Um, but there's parts of it where you kind of see that old Kanye coming back. Uh, then he dropped Ye, which was, I would say, kind of mid, especially for Kanye standards. It was good. It was all right. right. Nothing memorable, though. And then he dropped Kids See Ghosts, which I would also have to rank in one of my top 10 albums of the decade. Definitely Kitsy Ghost was super slept on. I got that on um, vinyl as well. Really love that song or the songs on those, on that mm-hmm. particular seven albums um, or seven track EP. And it was like, it, definitely that was like a reinvention. So when you're like kind of looking at it, I've always felt like Kanye will be good on kind of like a rockish alternative album. And he's gotten close to those, uh, especially with like Watch the Throne. A couple of the songs on there were very close to those kind of like that stadium status sound. Like he always would say stadium status. That's kind of what I felt on that. That one kind of felt like that. Um, but that's what I almost got from that. Um, Definitely Kid See Ghost was the better of the culmination from what he delivered in the 2010s. Um, you know, definitely in the, in the latter stage. S- such a dope EP and super slept on. A lot of people slept on that. 
Yeah. And then he ends it off with Jesus is King in 2019, which is a, a completely different direction, uh, God focused and really gospel inspired. Right. And we're, we're not done with 2019 yet. And we're supposed to get Jesus born yeah. on Christmas. Yep. Which is the follow up to uh, Jesus is King. So, uh, hey, I mean, that, you, I can't argue the run at all. Uh, Kanye still made a cultural impact. I think there was a lot of, uh, he was such a polarizing character in the 2010s, though. Uh, very volatile. I think a lot of changes of volatility for sure. Um, yeah, a lot. And I think Kanye. just the way he flexed as an artist in multiple genres and multiple sounds, like n- none of those two albums sound like they came from the same artist. Oh yeah, for no, sure. No two albums from that 2010 to 2019 run sounded like the same guy. So, right. Um, it, it's definitely Kanye for me. Um, yeah, his impact on music, his impact in fashion. Uh, he pretty much like saved Adidas by himself. He did. It's <laughs> legit. Uh, it's crazy. They think and, they're getting out of that bad James Harden shoe deal. Yeah, a lot of people think. Horrible. A lot of people think he's a joke or a clown, but I I think as an artist, I I definitely see his vision. And one thing I see is he's always looking to evolve and always looking to, to push the norms and somehow he does. And somehow they break through to the mainstream. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. I I don't think there's never been a guy like Kanye West before. Yeah. I I think uh, he, he also Kanye just makes a lot of, uh, he makes a lot of conversation for the things that needs to happen. Like in he's, he's doesn't care. He's just, he doesn't give a fuck. Like what he, what he hears or what he wants to speak and comes to his mind, he does it. And that, I really respect him of that though, because he, he doesn't allow the bullshit to seep. I mean, he gets on, he'll get on Twitter and you know, you've seen those, those rants that he's kind of come up with, but he's a great strategist too. Probably the, you know, his strategy, his, his, uh, the way he sets things up, <laughs> he definitely right. draws attention to himself right before he drops and it makes for effectiveness. Cause he's, I think he's had every drop that he's had. He's reached number one with that drop and he sells a lot of records with that drop. So he, he, he knows what he's doing. Um, and like you said, he's, he's hit and saved Adidas and now he's pretty much a billionaire. You know, I remember that point when he was talking about, he was going broke. Yeah, he was like $36 million in debt. Yeah, he said he was multiple millions in debt. And then not only did he get out of debt, he's like almost a billionaire now. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of it is true just because we don't know for real, for real, because his wife is Kim Kardashian. So it's not like she doesn't have money. But at the same token, that could be just personally his. And I don't know. But we, we saw where he was talking about that. And the next thing you know, he's like, well, shit. I'm damn near a billionaire now. Like, so you covered your, your debt and more um, with what you were doing. So I don't know, like he just had the, the run that he did have is pretty legendary when you're looking at the 2010s for sure. I mean, when it, when it comes down to pop culture and pop artists, he's going to be revered as one of the most influential of all time. Most definitely. Like I think 808s and heartbreaks influenced the entire SoundCloud rap era. Yeah. For sure. I can see that. All right. Well, that's what we got. That's what we, that's what we got on there, man. That's basically it guys. That's our end of the decade. And we're we're about to start the new decade. 
um, it's hard to predict where shit will be 10 years from now. Cause we never would have predicted the bullshit we're in right now, 10 years right. ago, <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. We, we've, we've made it to the end of the decade. It's been a, it's been an interesting decade and uh, I hope y'all like what we, you know, tried to give y'all as far as, um, as far as what, what was out there, man. Cause I think 2010 was just uh, the 2010s were really up and down. We saw a lot of meme rappers come in during this time too, but I really think this has been the best, the best age of rapping since, um, the you 90s. Know, since the nineties and mm-hmm. since the golden era, cause definitely the, the actual two thousands, the millennium was actually horrible for music. I think that was a horrible time for music. And now it's the 2010s, the late 2010s for sure. Like the second half, we definitely got some of the greatest music that we've, that we're going to ever hear. Um, so I'm glad that you guys were able to tune in. Let us know what y'all's ideas were or what y'all thought were your albums and, and everything of the year. Uh, yeah. Hit us up on IG at take the antidote. Or hit us yep. up on Twitter. We both on there day in and, and night and morning and evening, whatever. We <laughs> For real. Takeantidote.com. Go visit there. Tell your friends, man. Share, like, do all the above. Subscribe. We appreciate you. Yeah, subscribe. We appreciate it all. And then definitely once these drop, when you see the, you'll get the notification. So subscribe on Apple Music. You can do it on Stitcher. You can do it on Spotify. All the above, man. We got them all out there. So just check us out. Um, take the antidote. We out. It's gonna speak for us. Bye. Just speak for itself, you know what I mean? Fuckin' my pastor darling, two Jesus pieces yeah. Droppin' this blow on the basement flow, my Yeezy squeaking yeah. Revin' the fan, I pledge allegiance, undefeated Fuck the 40 acres and the mule, they gave us niggas the eagles Hot pot, spoons and needles yeah. Sold a piece of crack, the police is Mario Van Beatles uh. Serving every prime green and poopy with that vanilla smoothie Scary Gary nigga, my neighborhood, something like delusion Vladimir Banana clip, move with Russian collusion shooters uh. Fuck a track code, selling that pussy on computers yeah. Pippin' and never die, Chad Butler and heaven Chunkin' deuces, oh, right. chunkin' deuces of hard white fish Then I made a wish, but yeah. smoke a scrubbin' down my kitchen I'm never gon' wash a dish It's yeah. Mr. Clean, fast, all power model These niggas don't know how hard you ridin' for their ass till you park it. In 1998, I sold the Glock 19 chopper 2018, I'm finna reclaim my fucking time And cop the roadie flooded, Maxine Waters yeah. Fuck your poison, keep the vaccines off us We got a reality star in the goddamn office Quite like the Reagan Fernando said he used to move chickens in the Noriega day. I disrespect his name and he signed my face with the razor blade. Baby Tony, top of the family like Johnny Sacramone. Topping up this block white top of some Yoshiyama Motors. Whoever killed him first gon' get promoted While well, I was getting away with murder Before Denzel fucked by Yola against the Young nigga, dope money Just half at it, nigga Make money, more money Mathematics, nigga Popos, they coming for your money, nigga Play low, I mean low Like no money, nigga Young nigga, dope money Just half at it, nigga Make money, more money Mathematics, nigga Popos, they coming for your money, nigga Play low, I mean low Like no money, nigga Look, real bars are the ill bars. These scars are the only real proof they couldn't kill gods. My coke hand is still sketching out my memoirs. What I did to door panels on the wind stars. Gym stars left cuts in the dinner place. It's new stash box, the AC don't just ventilate. Take over your blocks, young niggas assimilate. We all break bread like going Dutch on a dinner date. The love of your life, rap nigga, wear fake watches. The serial number don't match the gift boxes. The bezel on her Balon blue due to Tanache. The bitch told me two-tone rollies was too blase. Yeah.
Way more chemical than political. PTSD from what I weighed on the digital. It was snowfall and Reagan gave me the visual. Obama opened his doors knowing I was a criminal. I took a risk. I took a brick. Took a road trip to a Motel 6. Get it wholesale and you know I won't tell shit. Ride coattails, then he really won't that lit. Just another in the mix, nigga. I'm rich, nigga. Tell me, is you Alpo or Mitch, nigga? Bet it all, roulette all on my wrist, nigga. Like Cleo setting it off, taking your bitch, nigga. Ooh! Young nigga, dope money. Just half at it, nigga. Make money, more money. Mathematics, nigga. Popos, they coming for your money, nigga. Play low. I mean low, like no money, nigga. Young nigga, dope money. Just half at it, nigga. Make money, more money. Mathematics, nigga. Low low. Talking to baby mama, nigga, fake rap. Tell that bitch this is that show money, nigga. Please subscribe. Please leave us a five-star review. Take the antidote.com.